0: Greetings welcome to The Dividing Line. I'm going to try to make this quick at the beginning as much as I possibly can, though it is important to do so. Uh, on the last program, we got out ahead of a slander campaign uh, that had uh, launched against me. It seems to happen every once in a while. The same suspects are normally the ones involved. Nothing on the screen again, Rich. And... Um, um, I sort of figured that was pretty much it. Um, we put it to bed. It was... It's It's not... This is... I'm calling this the nothing burger controversy. Um, there, there. There's nothing here. Um, there is absolutely nothing here. This, this is made up, whole cloth from the start. Um, if this is the best you've got, I mean, my goodness, don't I make mistakes on every program that you could find some way of twisting into something worthwhile? I mean, this is just pathetic. You guys have it's like you're are sitting around in lockdown and you all were in some secret Facebook group going, I'm bored. What can we come up with? Well, here, let's twist this. It is so bad that it's, it's laughable. It really is. Um, but it's, it's illustrative. We got to deal with it because of the fact that this kind of stuff takes on a life of its own. It just gets believed because people want to believe stupid things. Um, and dishonest people promote dishonest things. It's, so you got you got to put the facts out there and um, hope that those who are actually believers will repent of their promoting falsehoods and things like that. And then the rest, there's just nothing you, you can do about it. Um, so real quick uh, recap for those of you who missed it. And a lot of people did. A lot of people are very busy, fully understandable. On Tuesday morning, uh, a... Uh, Memes started running around, uh, started getting stuff. Uh, My fellow elders contacted me. One of my fellow elders contacted me. What's this all about? Um, Someone put out the lie, and it is a lie. It's a documentable lie. Uh, It has been documented. So anybody who repeats it is either knowingly or unknowingly repeating a lie. Um, Here's here's how a guy named Jake Robbie, R-A-A-B-E, put it. Quote, James White owns COVID widower with facts and logic facts and logic are in all caps sets him straight with hard truths. All caps is definitely not something I bet on in the Twitter pool this morning. So there was the original thing. Um, Paul Flynn was promoting it over in Ireland. Here's a Jack Robbie, um, and um, other people jumped in on it. So even on April 27th, Jacob Hollander, Yes, Jacob Hollander, The Jacob Denhollander. James keeps finding newer, bigger sharks, sharks to jump every day. Well, who knew? I mean, I don't follow him, so I don't see what nasty things he's saying, but there you go. Uh, and then some people are asking, what in the world is going on? Good old Calvinist Batman. How can his fellow elders not see that as lovelessness? Now, I was sent to this thread and it gets much worse, profane and and nasty and insulting and so on and so forth down below. Just what you expect from this crowd. But, um, I was sent to this yesterday because what I did on the program was I went back and I showed the actual thread and I showed that the man that what had happened is I had posted a, a tweet, um, And my tweet had said this This is on April 26th are a sufficient number of people waking up to the reality that the panic of 2020, which has always been political in nature, is now openly and clearly political in its motivations and that the costs in human life will dwarf anything the worst models ever predicted. And so I'm talking about worldwide. I'm talking about famine. I'm talking about disease, not COVID-19, but other diseases. I'm talking about the shutting down of medical research into into childhood diseases, which is not going on right now because everything's in this one area, one thing. I'm talking about the possibilities of so destabilizing the social order around the world that you'll have war and hence a lot more people dying because of the massive overreaction that has taken place globally in regards to COVID-19. So the next day, a fellow pops in, And talks about how um, his, uh, he says, my 49-year-old ex-wife of 19 years passed last week. Now, I'm not exactly sure what that means, but basically he says, you have no idea. Till it hits you close, you have no idea. Now, the lie that people like Jack Robbie and others were putting out there is that I went after this guy. With facts and hard truth, the reality is, as the actual unedited screenshots show, mm-hmm. I didn't respond to him. I recognized that was that wasn't going to any, go anywhere. And someone named Liana Miranda—I don't know how much longer, because once you get past, I guess once you get past like 24 hours, it stops putting the time thing; it just puts dates instead of instead of uh, two, days, one day. two days. One, yeah, I don't. I'm not even sure. I'm not even sure if that hasn't changed over time. I I, I don't know. But someone named Liana Miranda said, I'm so sorry for your loss. I'm sorry that so many are taking the humanity away from such loss and making it about politics. Okay? That's the person I responded to. Didn't get anywhere. Uh, Totally emotional uh, woman. Didn't listen to what... uh, Didn't interact with anything that was said. The original tweet didn't interact with anything I had said either. Um... But the lie was that I had responded to the first individual, not to the person who was saying that if you talk about the political ramifications, if you think long term, if you if you recognize that the left is using this. Oh, my goodness. I forgot to bring this up. But I guess was it Biden or Clinton? Both um, said that again, said the same thing that that uh, representative said when they passed the funny money bill. Uh, we have an opportunity here to accomplish things that we've wanted to accomplish forever. Oh, it's was Clinton? Yeah, there you go. That's all I had said. I had, I had uttered a factual statement, and all this came from that. But the whole meme was he went after a widower. I didn't. It was a lie. Uh, Liam Miranda is not a widower, did not claim to be a widower. The whole thing is a lie from the start. It's a fake. It was made up. But people like Jacob Den Hollander and 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 Jake Robbie, and then of course, um, Joel McDermott uh, jumped in on it. You wouldn't expect Joel, Joel McDermott has looked for every single opportunity to drive a knife into my back since two thousand and nine. Okay so we're we're, we're coming up we, we're good solid coming up on a full 11 years here f- for him. So there's nothing nothing new there. But the standard group of people out there, it is an odd group because they they should be fighting with each other. They don't have all the same motivations, but they are united um most of them are united in their hatred of Doug Wilson too, but of me uh, as well. And so they're all getting this going. And they're not going to look at the facts. They're not going to bother to check things. <laughs> they're they're going to believe the worst thing possible and tell other things, other people the worst things possible. So we took all that apart on Tuesday, walked through it, demonstrated what the facts were, thought we would put it to bed. Well, not so much. Because uh then and like I said, I'm not going to read you you know some of the this just absolute nasty. Uh, I mean one uh, one guy um j- well just just some amazing uh, amazing stuff um, and i'm yeah yeah but we're i'm just going to minimize these so you can you can go find the stuff for yourself i've had some friends have gone oh man i wish i hadn't gone looking uh because wow those people are nasty and yeah they they're they are so and nobody's rebuking them for being nasty you know the other people the christians or they don't, they don't, they don't have a problem but... So, yesterday, this is at 5.11 p.m. is when I took the screenshot. So, 5.11 p.m. Mountain Time. Mountain Standard Time, which is always Mountain Standard Time. Um, Christine Pack jumps in. Now, Christine Pack, um, of course, um, um, absolutely uh, irreversible case of Doug Wilson derangement syndrome, DWS sufferer. used to be a used to be a friend used to be um on our side as i recall it's at some point but anyway posted this um yes screen in fact let me let me um got that even though making it that big the resolution's bad um but Um, So here it is. Yeah, screenshots are readily available. White, now notice this, folks. White, author of Grieving Your Path Back to Peace, may not have been immediately aware of the widower's comment, but pretty quickly after the initial comment, approximately 1,000 people brought it to his attention and he responded. Now notice what's posted. If you look at this, here is my original tweet. There is his response. Now this is where Liana Miranda would be. But Liana Miranda's gone. And instead, what you have is you've now jumped through dozens of comments, hours, maybe even a day. I don't recall when it was. This says 427, so uh, 1152. So that would be wherever this one was taken was probably Eastern time. So later in the day, as I said on Tuesday, this fellow, who I do not know, did not recognize the and what do you call these things uh, is this a nick is it a moniker i mean mine's is it handle because there's a difference between the name you use and the at sign that you use um anyway there's no connection between the at sign and the name that is used so and it's not a real name um all i saw in my feed was just somebody saying, "I'm disappointed in you. I'm a fan, follow your work and debates. I'm disappointed in myself to have wasted my time on you. Wasted my time on you." Now, I did not know this was the same guy from earlier in the day. Didn't even the, the things didn't recognize. You can't uh, the uh, people who use avatars of something else, which which you can't even read. So all I see is yet another person, I'm so disappointed in you, and it has to do with, uh, you know, well, you shouldn't never talk about politics, you shouldn't never talk about Christian worldview. Well, you do that all the time. But anyways, um, whatever. So uh, I just respond to this: If I had known this person was the same person from earlier in the day or the day before, or however many hours it was, I don't know, I probably would have skipped it too. But you notice know, what so I said? Wasted your time. Well thank you. I would ask for some kind of biblical or logical reasoning here, but I am quite certain as to what I would get back, so you be blessed. Go on. I'm not going to try to get into an argument with you. If that's how you feel, it's obviously an emotional thing. Not, gonna, not even going to go on there. Not, not knowing there's any connection. But what's the point in producing a, a thing like this? You're putting them together. You're putting them together so that you're promoting the idea which has already been refuted, but you're sort of hoping people don't listen to the dividing line. And you sort of, the people you're primarily looking for are the people who want to believe slander and lies. And that's really what the internet's about today. People on both sides of the political aisle do the same thing right now. There are people, Joe Biden could walk up to, um, 20 homeless people and give them his last dime And there are people on the right that would turn it into an insult or something. And we all know that there has never been anyone who has created more derangement. Not even Doug Wilson creates more derangement than Donald Trump does. So you see the memes all the time. Um, There was one recently where, where it was Donald Trump saying... Uh, yeah, I've heard that it's good to eat your vegetables, you'll be healthier. And then CNN, you need to mow your lawn and eat the grass. You know? <laughs> this guy, and it's true. That's ex- it is exactly what happens. Well, that's what's happening to me. You're looking for those people who have already heard something about this, and they are inclined to believe it, and so you give them what they want. Now, this right here never happened. Never happened. Okay. There, there is, there is not only a time period. There's a day between these two, but down here, there's no response to this individual. But the idea was I had gone after this guy. It's a lie. But this is meant to prop up the lie, because then you have the later thing, which I've already said didn't even didn't even connect the two the two things. And all I'm saying is, so you be blessed. I'm not going to argue with you. I'm, you know, whatever. Okay. Both times, it was the other guy coming after me, not me going after the other guy. Both times. And the first one, I just ignored. It was like, okay, not going, not not touching that with a 10-foot pole. So you take out everything in between, but then you keep the narrative, where the narrative is, oh, he went after this person, and he's arguing with this person, blah, 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 which never happened. It was a lie. So it is edited so as to maintain the narrative. Then when I point that out, when I point that out, this comes up. Okay? So, this was late last night and this was again Christine Pack. I've already told her, she, um, you're you're slandering me, you're lying, you're posting stuff that didn't happen. Um, When you remove, when you take tweets out of their order, out of their context, and put them in another context, this is dishonest. I'm sorry if you can't understand that, but it is dishonest. So notice what has been done here. Here you have my original tweet, the response, and then notice, oh, look, look, 4.53 a.m., 4.27.20. And then here's 10.11 a.m., 4.27.20. So see, this is after this. So see, we're not lying. But what is this? Look, look at what's, look at what's happened. This one up here. Notice there's nothing above it. You know why? Because if you actually looked at it, it's not in response to this guy. It's in response to Liana. Oops, wrong person. Who cares? Edit it. Post it. Keep the lie going. There you go. Christine Pack. All right. I'm not sure why you people do this when the other side still has the opportunity to put the truth on the screen. It reminds me of... Remember Eric uh, uh, Kanner? It, it never, I never figured out why he kept lying in front of cameras and microphones. They're, this is all being recorded. How, do you do realize that, that eventually you will be found out. Well, thankfully... You know, the, the you know what's scary is if what if people start doing this with stuff from 5 years ago that you can't even find anymore. And you can't go back and go, "Wait a minute, no, that's no, here." You see, there is it, it is there is a reason why scripture has such a high standard for truthfulness and a high standard for witnesses. That's really really important stuff. Uh so this type of thing doesn't happen. So, up here I say if I were to tweet a picture of someone who died of say a cancer that was caused by industrial contamination would I be taking the humanity away from the loss by pointing out the obvious reality of the political realities underlying the situation I've used the term reality too many times there but the point is who is that addressed to well it makes it look by the creation of this that it's a response to this that wasn't let me let me show you let me just, just make sure that we've we've got it here here's Here's the original. Here's the real thing. Here's my mine here. There's that one. Here's Liana Miranda. Notice taking the humanity away from such loss. Right below it. If I were to tweet a picture of someone who died of, say, a cancer that was caused by industrial contamination, would I be, quote, taking the humanity away? End quote. Where is that from? That's from Liana Miranda. That's not from up here, is it? No. No honest person is going to believe these lies because they're lies documented case closed christine pack delete your tweets i'll accept the uh the apology in fact i really really hope you will do that but i sort of doubt it um same thing with jacob den hollander and all the rest of you be glad to accept your apology but you've never done it before, so I'm really not sure to, uh, I'll accept it now. But I would like to see it. It would be a wonderful thing because this kind of behavior. See, I can fight back. I have a platform. But when you do this to other people, they can't. That's why I fight back. Okay? Internet bullies are internet bullies. They need to be identified as internet bullies. All right? Just all there is to it. Hate to have to waste time with this kind of stuff. But here's the, here's the reason why it's important to do so. Did you see... Oops, I minimized... Oh, great. I hate when you, you click back on the preview thing and there are now 47, 47 shots that you just uh, had up. Um, but, let me, that I, I, but I need to show this. Let me see if I can... It will be the last one that I choose. I, I can guarantee... Yep, so far. So, far, so I'm going to skip. <laughs> of course, when you skip, it doesn't work either. Okay. There it is. Um, Let me read it again. Christine Pack. White. Parenthesis. Author of Grieving Your Path Back to Peace. Parenthesis closed. Now, why do that? It's purposeful. It's meant to cause damage. It's meant to damage the book. It's meant to damage me. It's meant to damage this ministry. Now, here's why this is important. I have had numerous people contact me over the years about how that book helped them through very difficult times, and I have had multiple people tell me it kept them from suicide. So what if you, because of your derangement syndrome, decide to join into a cabal of liars who have made up a lie out of whole cloth made up a story that never happened and that any honest person who looks at the data would know never happened. What if you join into that for whatever reasons that you might have? Maybe you think that's a good way of getting at Doug Wilson or something. That would explain this one. But what if you do this? And as a result, someone doesn't buy that book or doesn't distribute that book because, well, you know, I heard that thing about White. I, I guess I shouldn't do that. This morning, unsolicited, I was sent a tweet. It was solicited by this discussion from a brother named Ray. And Ray said this. This is from this morning. Well, okay, I saw it this morning. It says 11 hours, so it might have been late last night. Ray said, the only comment I have is this. My wife committed suicide one month ago. No note, no explanation, no chance for goodbye. Goodbye. Your book on grieving has been very helpful. I've given it to others in the past. Now, tragically, it's my turn. Thank you. Here's the simple reality. When you lose your balance, when you become deranged and imbalanced in who you have to attack and who you have to make stuff up about, you may well preclude people like this from having access to resources that they actually needed. And you will bear the responsibility. Keep it in mind. Keep it in mind. All right. The Nothing Burger controversy is ended. Anyone? Look, we will post this. Link to it. Just give it to anybody who you see. Because we've had people. We've had friends. We've had people part of the ministry. I'm hearing this that, or the other thing. What's this all about? That's how this stuff works lies travel far faster than truth ever could far faster than truth ever could and so just link to it say there listen to this program at this point this program at this point documentation's all there it's the nothing burger controversy there's nothing to it it is one big huge pack of lies pack of lies that's funny um so there you go um didn't want to waste that time but but there it is now i was thinking uh on a walk/run this morning um when well wait a minute let me oops, did i bring that up yes i did and let me see here uh yeah, yeah, that's, that's that's pretty much where I wanted to go with that. Um, do you all remember, I think it was, let's see, it's almost May. So early April of last year. <laughs> Can any of us remember pretty much anything before February? Um, because it really seems like the entire world uh, changed uh, once once all that stuff started happening. And it sort of happened slowly. Uh, well, quickly, actually. So, um, there was an unbelievable radio broadcast that had Chris Date and Leighton Flowers, which is ironic in light of what's happened since then, in that we've responded to both uh, individuals in different uh, in different contexts. But we reviewed some of the comments then, But that was before, and in fact I don't know, let me I'm not sure if there is uh, I'm not sure exactly when this came out, I don't remember when I first, it was 2019 but I don't know when it came into when it actually, what month it came out Um, but I was, this wasn't yet on the reading list, shall we say the Ken Wilson book Uh, the shorter version. And so now that things have uh, changed in light of working through materials and things like that, um, I thought it would be useful to go back and to illustrate one of the things I've been saying for a long time, but... With something that was recorded before all of this started in regards to Ken Wilson. That was one of the useful things about reviewing the interview. Is and I haven't told I, I I am aware of the fact, I haven't listened to it, uh, that there's been a two hour thing that Layton Flowers did with, with Ken Wilson. I it, it is um it is a self evidently true reality. Any review of the Soteriology one oh one website and videos will prove this, that it's easier to produce material when you're only focused on one subject. When you are, okay, been attacked for this before, but it's simply accurate. When you're a one string banjo, when you got one note to play, you can crank out the information. And I just, if you think that's mean, go look at the videos on the YouTube and ask yourself the question, how wide and broad are Leighton Flowers interest as far as what he's actually addressing. Uh, I'd say about one one thousandth as as broad as the topics that we address here. Uh, so you can you can put out a lot more information in a short short period of time. Um, but I haven't listened to that either. This is early last year, pre Wilson as far as my knowledge of Wilson. And what it illustrates is one of my key concerns, not only with Flowers, but with Wilson as well. When you exegete a text of Scripture, and if we can take this back to 2015, this has been the key all along. When someone claims to be exegeting a text of Scripture, you need to ask yourself a question. Is this person spending more time telling me what the text cannot be saying or positively what it is saying? Now, we live in a day where, unfortunately, there is a tremendous amount of agnosticism even among scholars, even amongst professing Christian scholars. And you've heard of epistemological humility. Any useful phrase has some element of truth to it, or it's not useful. Any joke has some. The reason Babylon B is normally, not always, but normally very funny, is that there is a clear element of truth, which is what ma- which is what's so much fun about watching Snopes do handstands and cut themselves and (laughs) beat themselves with bats and everything else (laughs) when when, when they're trying to fact check Babylon B is because what freaks Snopes out is there's always an element of truth. And so when you talk about epistemological humility, yeah, we need to recognize none of us has all knowledge. None of us is in and of ourselves infallible as an interpreter and exegete on the last program, I talked about a situation where I myself have to go "Ah, looking at that textual variant and that text, um, you know, 20, 25 years down the road, 30 years down the road from where I first examined it. Is it possible that I've either learned more since then or, gained enough perspective to look at it from a different angle and see things that I was unable to see before, unwilling to see before. So I I get that level of, quote-unquote, epistemological humility. The problem is that's normally turned into a warrant for biblical agnosticism. Yeah, we've got the Bible, but we're not really sure what it says about pretty much anything, really. That raises the question, I may do this sometime down the road. I did a sermon years ago uh, out of Second John, wonderful little book, and it was about um, the fact that the truth of the gospel would abide with the church. This is a confidence that we can have because of God's sovereignty. If you don't have a sovereign God, the, the, yeah, the, the truth of the gospel may have been lost. But if you have a sovereign God who is accomplishing his purposes in this world, then you can have confidence in in that reality. Um, So epistemological humility has an element of truth, but it cannot be used as a broad warrant for simply saying we, we can't know what the truth is. So when you hear someone who is far more concerned about what a text could not possibly be saying than they are in explaining from the text, from the language, from the grammar, and from the flow of the context. Obviously, the emphasis has to go on the preceding context, but you can always look at what comes behind, even though there may be a break in thought, things like that. That's why uh, antecedent context is is always most important. Um, then you, you should, your, your antenna should come up and you should be going hmm what's going on here this this is a test that you should apply to everyone myself included myself included anybody and yeah your own pastor as well and here's here's a warning not every sermon from your pastor is as good as every other sermon from your pastor Sometimes there's a clinker, even from really good preachers. Sometimes you have a bad week, bad day, bad morning before service, whatever. And we should not feel that there is anything wrong with recognizing at times, I'm not 100% certain about that one. And there are certain telltale signs. And you've heard the argument, um, when your point is weak, yell louder. That happens in a lot of sermons, and that happens in a lot of debates, too. And so I wanted to go back, and I wanted to listen to, because what what did we do? Again, when you start doing so many programs back-to-back, it's hard to remember what day was what, but I think it was this week, I think it was Monday, that we did Isaiah 10? Okay, I think it was Monday. Um, Isaiah 10 is one of the key compatibilistic proof texts. When I say compatibilistic, simply the recognition that you cannot flatten out the Bible's teaching into an either-or situation where you banish God's sovereign decree so as to leave room in your flattened-out two-dimensional universe for autonomous free will. If you allow the Bible to speak, it speaks of God's absolute sovereign decree, working all things after the counsel of his will, and it says that God is just in holding men accountable based upon the actions of the desires of their heart. Both are true. You're not big enough, you're not smart enough, you're not eternal enough, or omniscient enough—putting enough with that is enough—um— To figure that out and to make that fit into your little world's parameters. But I believe in sola scriptura and I believe in tota scriptura. And therefore, I need to believe all of what scripture says. So, in the Unbelievable program, there were a set of scriptures that were looked at from both sides. And one of them was Genesis 50. And I did just... um, I suppose I can show this to you. Um, I was tracking down... Just, I don't know, just for the fun of it, just so you all can be happy. Um, Genesis 50 in one of the earliest... Uh, Greek manuscripts we could find of it, and I actually have it here. Um, And this is uh, Codex Vaticanus. But unfortunately, it is um, somewhat damaged. And remember, just in passing, this has nothing to do with our subject, but just in passing, that one of the sad realities of history... Is that some poor scribe somewhere in the medieval period, um, probably as penance for some really bad thing? He probably, I don't know, spilled wax on the bishop's head during mass or something. Who knows? Um, but he had to go through this entire manuscript and retrace every letter. It's the entire Bible in Greek. Well, okay. We're not sure when Hebrews nine fourteen and following fell off of Vaticanus, whether it was there or not, but um, but probably still had to do that too. So here's here's the section in Genesis, but you can see, or can we see? We can't see. Yes, no. There we go. Uh, but you can see some of it's down here is readable, and then the rest of it not so much. It's sort of faded out and gotten icky looking. But you can see like up here especially. Uh, that's clearly been written over. Now, I don't know what happened down here. Um, I'm sure there are entire uh, books on that process and everything else. But I didn't I'm, – I I'm, apologize. I didn't get it done. Uh, just I was doing it at five minutes before the program started, so I wasn't able to show it to you. It's not that it really changes anything. I just thought it would be sort of neat to look at it. Uh, because Genesis 50 is is Genesis 50 but if you're not familiar with the context let's remind ourselves um, beginning in verse 15 when Joseph's brothers saw their father was dead now you remember the story Joseph Egypt becomes second to pharaoh you know hides himself from his brothers brings them up the hiding of the cup in the sacks and you know all that story but that, what goes before that story was the murderous intention of the brothers. And remember The Code of Many Colors? One of my favorite uh, stories um, on uh, flannel graph back when, you know, my mom was one of my Sunday school teachers. And, and we had flannel graph back then. And I remember The Code of Many Colors. And that's, that's... Look, the scriptures, the scripture the scriptures say that that was a great gift that he that he gave to his son and yes it is the same it, a a, a of many colors or a coat of many colors it's the same i think it was a kuji i think someday they're going to find joseph's uh Cougie in a somewhere well preserved in a in in egypt because it could be a kuji could survive in egypt because manuscripts can. A, a Coogee could, too. So they're going to find some hidden wall in a, in, a, in a pyramid someplace, and there it'll be. And it'll, it'll say Coogee, and then it'll, it'll still have a dry cleaning thing on that says, Deliver to Joseph. <laughs> That's my prediction. It's about as good as everything else you get in Charisma News anyways, so I <laughs> might as well throw that one out there. Anyway, so you remember the story. Jealousy. God intervenes. God intervened. Now we, we have to keep we have to keep this context in mind. And it's a context that Leighton Flowers knows because he's going to mention it. And that is the 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 initial desire of the brothers was not to sell Joseph. It was to kill Joseph. Bury his body, deceive their father. And that was not God's intention. That's Psalm 33. God's intention is established. Man's intention is worthy. That's not... Who had autonomy in this situation? Did Joseph's brothers have the ability to kill Joseph? Did they have the ability course. They would have had the weapons, they would have had the opportunity, they probably could have gotten away with it. But did they have the ability? Because remember, this is Leighton Flowers' big thing, is he wants, the provisionists are all about, responsibility means the ability to respond, hence autonomy. So, did Joseph's brothers have the ability to kill Joseph in reality and the answer is no they did not why because as we're going to see in Genesis 50 it was God's intention to bring the children of Israel into Egypt think about it what is the single most often repeated example in the New Testament from the Old Testament of God's action of deliverance in Jesus Passover Exodus what do you have to have for that you gotta get the people of Israel into Egypt how do you do that Joseph Joseph sold into slavery into Egypt it, absolutely key to the entire redemptive story. Unless you're going to say that God really didn't have a story and he's just sort of bumbling along with these guys and going, man, I'm not sure how long it's going to take. I'm, I really want to get the Messiah to come, but whenever I can work it out. Um, and then this happens and it's like, oh, well, I'll try to make the best come out of this or I'll try to make the best, best come out of that. Can you imagine if The promise of Romans 8.28 is, I'll just try to make the best come out of all the evil I can, but it's going to be really ugly messy. So that every bit of the blood on the doorposts, the paschal lamb, the unleavened bread, the death of the firstborn, the despoiling of the gods of Egypt, it's all just fortuitous. It wasn't intended by God. Because every one of those requires tens of thousands of, quote-unquote, autonomous free will choices to make any sense or to come about. So, God kept the brothers from killing Joseph. Let me put it this way. The brothers could not have killed Joseph. They did not have the ability to kill Joseph. Physically, yes. On the human plane, yes. In reality, no. But, but, and here's the key. Here's the key. Upon which level does God's righteous judgment operate in judging whether something is sin? That's the issue. And the answer is, and the answer given in Genesis 50 is the level where our will exists and our knowledge exists. Because the Joseph brothers, I assure you, had no idea. As they saw him coming, they saw the Coogee from afar. <laughs> Sometimes I wish the rich cam was on like an ISO channel. So I I set a switch over here and I could pop it up so you could see the pained expression. Yeah, yeah, there. <laughs> there. They saw the kuji from afar and uh, <laughs> I facepalm, but I'm not to. You're, you're you're not allowed to facepalm right now. Yeah, it's politically incorrect facepalm. Yeah. Um, they saw the kuji from afar And they are judged on the basis of the hatred and murder that filled their heart. Not on whether they followed through with it. Because they couldn't. Because it was not God's will that Joseph die. Nobody could have killed Joseph that day. Nobody. In fact, no one can kill anyone until God's sovereign decree says they're to die. That's why the Psalter can say, my days were written in your book. How We have to, on the human level, say that we could die any day. And from our perspective, that's true. But from God's perspective... That is not true. I cannot die until the day God has ordained that to happen. But I don't know when that is. So I live as if it could be today. Or I try to, very frequently failing that. uh, But I try to. So when they saw Joseph coming, their hearts are filled with hatred. Their hearts are filled with murder. But God restrains them. And instead, now think about it. There is a caravan going by. Well, what were the chances of that? Let's, <laughs> let's remember something. There weren't a whole lot of people on Earth back then. In comparison to today, there were a few million, but nothing like the billions we have today. And so, you'd go on a caravan, and you wouldn't see another human for a long, long time. It, you know, there weren't any jet planes flying over. You know, no tracks in the sand from the four-wheel drives that went by. Nothing like that. The chances of a caravan just happening by, very, very small. God's orchestrating this. And it just so happens... That they're going to the very place God wants to send his people to prove the supremacy of his nature. A lot of people miss the plagues and what they mean. If you know anything about Egyptian religion, it's fascinating. It really is. It, it shows up a lot in the Old Testament. A lot of concepts and stuff back there. lot of apologetics against those concepts in the Old Testament text as well that we miss because we don't have the background. Um, But when you look at the plagues, God is demonstrating his absolute sovereign power over the entirety of the uh, pantheon of Egyptian gods. They could do nothing. Yahweh can do everything. That can only happen if Joseph gets to Egypt. And so Think about it again. Do you think those, those traders in that caravan, do you think they were really nice guys? They're, they're buying and selling slaves, okay? They're slave traders, along with other things, I'm sure. Uh, do you think they're nice guys? Think about this. There was no point in that entire trip into Egypt where any one of those slave traders could have killed Joseph. Not from God's perspective. Not a one of them had the free will. Not a one of them had the autonomous will to be able to kill Joseph because it was God's intention that Joseph go to Egypt. You see how, see, one of the arguments is, well, you know, God can, there are certain things that God can do. He can do a little thing over here, a little thing over there. But, you know, it's the, it's the, you know, it's the general stuff, you know, that God just doesn't care about. Think about it. Think of how many autonomous choices were involved in creating the context for Joseph to go to Egypt and to do in Egypt what he did. Um, Potiphar had to marry quite an interesting woman. What was involved with that? Well, we don't know. Was it an arranged marriage? We don't know. But there are all sorts of decisions involved with that. And there were decisions involved in the raising of that young girl to where she became the woman that she became. Unfaithful to her husband. Chasing after Joseph. All sorts of free will decisions involved there. And God thwarted anything other than what would bring about the fulfillment of his intentions and purposes. Because he needed to go to prison. And he needed to go to prison at the exact time that the certain people would be there that would allow him to interpret the dreams, that would allow him to do what he did and rise to the position he did in the Egyptian government and then provide the seven years before the seven years of famine or all sorts of other people would have died. You see how many tens of thousands and hundreds of thousands of people are involved in each one of these stories? It's not like he just goes, well, I'm going to do a supernatural Sovereignty thing, boop right there. That's it. Everybody else is cool, right? No, no other, no other autonomous wills affected. You see, the only reason you worry about stuff like that is when you don't realize compatibilism. When you don't realize that the God who made time and all the events in time is big enough to do so in such a way that. The temporal realm and the eternal realm are in perfect harmony. If you deny compatibilism, you're saying God can't do that. You are denying to God the capacity. Based upon your philosophical categories and your teeny tiny little intellect, you're denying that to God. Why? Why? So, that's the backdrop. That, that's the backdrop. And so you remember the rest of the story? Remember how they the, the children of Israel come down there? And you know what's happened, and, and now the fathers died. And so Genesis 50, 15, when Joseph's brothers saw their father was dead, they said, what if Joseph bears a grudge against us and pays us back in full for all the wrong which we did to him? So they sent a message to Joseph saying, your father charged before he died. I've often wondered, did he? Did he? Um, I mean, it doesn't really seem like they've really fully learned their lesson yet, so did he? Well, maybe we'll find out someday. I don't know. Uh, Your father charged before he died, saying, Thus you shall say to Joseph, Please forgive, I beg you, the transgression of your brothers and their sin, for they did you wrong. Okay, so can we settle... Without question, the reality that what they did in selling Joseph into slavery was sin. It was wrong. The answer is yes, clearly. Clearly. And Joseph wept when they spoke to him, the messenger spoke to him. Then his brothers also came and fell down before him and said, Behold, we are your servants, not your brothers. We're your servants. And so all through this, you know, please forgive the transgressions of the servants of the God of your father. See, all of this is separating themselves from Joseph. They're not, they're not saying, oh, brother, 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 because they know they, they pretty well burned that bridge a long time ago. And I, I would imagine they were expecting, you know, all the worst stuff that from the mummy films, you know, the people scratching from the insides of coffins and stuff like that. They're figuring this is what we're headed for. Uh, you know, what were those flesh-eating beetles and stuff like that? And yeah, they're, they're, they're toast. So they come, fell down before him and said, Behold, we are your servants. But Joseph said to them, Do not be afraid, for am I in God's place? For am I in the place of God? May I suggest that Joseph understood something that a lot of Christians don't understand? that Joseph understood there's God's place and then there's the creature's place. And only God can be in God's place. And we need to leave God in God's place. And we will mess everything up big time when we try to take God's place. We ain't big enough. We ain't smart enough. We shouldn't even want to be there. Am I in God's place? That has to be understood before the verse 20 will be understandable. That there is a place for God. And here's my argument I believe that the. Uh, that's what I forgot to do. I downloaded it. A guy named Kemp was on with, um, with Leighton Flowers. And did I put that? Let me look real quick. I did download... Uh, it was... There it is. Ah! Good. I can do this. Okay. I'll do that in a second. Um, I honestly believe that the only way that you will be able to see the fullness of what Genesis 50-20 means, and Genesis 50-20 is words of wisdom that come from Joseph who suffered for decades before he could come to understand. The immature, proud little kid who had his cuji ripped off of him before being sent to Egypt had changed massively in the years afterwards. And he had suffered. And it was suffering that gave him the maturity to recognize that we can never be in God's place. God has a place that we never belong. He is sovereign. He is accomplishing his purpose. And if you don't start there, if you put man's philosophy if you put human autonomy in God's place, you're not going to you're not going to understand Genesis 50:20. You're not going to. Am I in God's place? As for you, you meant evil against me. You intended against me, raah, Evil. He doesn't soft sell it. He doesn't say, you know, I understand I was a jerk. I understand I was arrogant. No. He does not. What they did was evil. You do not sell people into slavery. You do not take their clothing and dip it in blood. And torture their father into thinking for years. Can you imagine not only the suffering of that old man, part of which he brought on himself, there's no question about it, but it was still suffering. that was undeserved. The suffering of that old man. And then can you imagine the family dynamic? The first time... After he sees Joseph, after he has the whole story, when he is alone with those brothers and Joseph's not there, what was that like? That man's not stupid. He knew what his sons had done. He knew his sons had sat there and pretended to comfort him as he wept and mourned. And they well knew Joseph was not dead. And they were the ones that had sold him into slavery. That's a somewhat of a non-functional family. Oh, a few problems in, in yeah, mm-hmm. no two ways about it. That's why it really makes me wonder, did he really say say this to Joseph? Um, I'm not sure. You meant evil against me. He doesn't use some strange word that could be translated many different ways. Ra'ah means evil. And you intended it. It was the intention of your heart And it was aimed against me. It wasn't just, you experienced this strange, impersonal feeling of evil, and I got No, it was, you intended evil against me. That's what the first four words, not including pronominal suffixes, or or, um, phenomenal suffixes, right? Not including any antecedents. You intended evil against me. God then using the same verb intended and I'm looking over the Greek Septuagint as well both use, using "bulamai," God intended meant it for good not for me there's the, 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 the for me is not uh Repeated, meant it for good in order to bring about this day, literally, this present result and to preserve amrab. Many people cry alive. To reserve, reserve the lives of many people. So, let's look at what is not parallel between the two first. What is not parallel is, as one would expect, as one would expect, the brother's intentions very narrow, focused solely upon Joseph. You meant evil against me. God meant it which was their act of evil. There's no question. It's the same thing. God meant it for good. But it's not just for my good. He meant it for good in order to bring about this present result to preserve many people alive. And yes, that meant their family and flocks and servants and all the rest of that stuff. But we know that many people in Egypt had been preserved alive because of the interpretation of the dreams, the famine, storehouses, you know know the rest of the story. So there is not an absolute parallel because God's intention is bigger, broader, and better. But what is unquestionably Parallel. The only only reason that the Hebrew looks different is because when you write Hebrew, you use different forms depending upon the form of the verb, whether it's singular, plural, you can have direct objects, etc., etc. And so you meant evil. That's the brothers, but God's singular, but it's the same verb. You intended. You meant. And there's only one object. It. The act of evil. You meant it for evil. God meant it for good. And I'm just going to start looking at this camera eventually because, you know, we've been going for over an hour and just one. So I don't know what he's doing in there. I don't know. He's not listening to me, obviously. He's 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 on his phone. He's doing his thing. and. I don't know. What can I say? So, um, (laughs) Oh, I lost him at at the Coogee. Okay, yeah. Joseph's uh, cooji, he just decided at that point that theologically he just couldn't buy it anymore and he's, he's bailing out. So, okay, that's fine. You have absolute parallel. You have one act. It was an evil act but it was intended by God. I don't know how you can get around this. You can sit there, well, you're going to hear one way of trying to get around in a moment. But you have one act. And in God's ordering of his universe, the judgment for that act is based upon the intentionality of the will. They meant it for evil. God meant it for good. That was how God chose to get Joseph into a place to save many people alive, and that is good. The act itself on the part of the brothers was evil. If you have to flatten that out to where both of those statements cannot be true, you will never, ever be able to handle the text of scripture in a meaningful fashion you won't you won't so with all of that having spent that much time let's take a listen to what what somebody made a meme meme? oh a a kuji meme why can't i see memes and why is it like during the program and stuff i can't see memes it that makes me very very all i see is christine pack well i i, I will eventually see it um unpopular opinion dr ugly 1689 got his Kooji sweater style from biggie small's notorious big no i did not uh no factually my first Kooji was in 93 i don't think those guys were around in 93 that was given to me by a friend so nope that ain't that ain't working but yeah no i don't see any uh uh Let he at no Smith & Wesson sell his Kooji sweater, misspelled, Kooji Sweater Vest, and buy one. <laughs> yeah, that'd be some fun things to look at when we get done here. Um, okay, before I play Leighton Flowers. The whole deceitfully edited narrative is White's attempt to misdirect away from the fact he showed zero compassion to the man who had lost a loved one. Okay, can I stop here for a second? The lie has been exposed. The second lie has been exposed. And so what does Christine Pack do? She triples down with a new one. Won't admit the facts that have been laid in in front of her. This is reprehensible. I I don't... What can I say? Um, So now, so now what we're being told. The original lie was that I went after the guy. I didn't. The second lie was to hook together different parts. Didn't happen either. So now I showed zero compassion to the man. So now what I was supposed to do is I make a tweet about the political ramifications of utilizing the COVID pandemic to lurch the entire world to the left. What I'm supposed to do is someone comes in. Bombs that with an emotional tweet, and I am supposed to somehow engage in some type of counseling online with this person. Rather than just going, that's a, that's a hand grenade, I'm not pulling the pin on it. If you want to pop into someone's thread, throw a hand grenade in, I'm not going to respond to it. But now, now that's the new meme. You see, we got caught in the first ones. We got caught lying. Let's lie some more. Christine, you need help. You need help. Have you talked to your elders about your problems? You need help. This is just unbelievable. It's just, wow. <sighs> that's that's that man. Anyway, d d d d d. So, well edit that one and stick it at the other part of it later on or something. I don't know. Um, Let's listen to what Leighton Flowers has to say about... Now, what has happened? What? It's plugged in. Um, What happened was Chris Date had given his presentation. This was, if you recall, I think it was at three. Was it three or two verses? I can't remember which. Each side presented their viewpoint from a passage of scripture, a couple passages of scriptures, maybe two or three. Then the other side responded, and then reversed. So this is where Chris Date is giving, obviously, a prepared thing, and then Leighton is responding. I don't know if they mentioned, I can't remember now, it's been over a year, I can't remember if they, I'm sure they did exchange which verses they were going to do. So Leighton should have had something ready to go, but anyway... So here is Leighton Flowers on Genesis 50, 20.
1: Well, sure. I'd back up a little bit and look at the context of the text, because the original intent of the, the brothers was not to sell the brother into slavery. If you look through the narrative, their original intent was murderous. They wanted to kill him because of pride. They were jealous. Well, where does pride originate? Where does that come from? 1 John 2.16 says the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. So whatever we conclude here, we cannot go against what Scripture teaches us and conclude that some eternal divine decree is the cause or the origin of these brothers' pride.
0: Okay, so the first first thing that is stated is, whatever this is saying, it can't be what he says it says. (laughs) so, so, my interpretation is the origin of pride is from the world, therefore it can't from, come from God, and therefore there is no divine decree. Do, do we recognize eisegesis when we see it? Do we recognize someone who, looking at the text, is going, I have overriding commitments that will not allow me to hear what this text is saying and since this text specifically presents the one divine truth that is the kryptonite to my tradition and that is compatibilism because if compatibilism is true if there can be one event that is sinful on the part of one and good on the part of the other as Genesis fifty twenty says then the entire argumentation that he utilizes, collapses. Done.
1: We have to come to a better conclusion than, than to impugn. I think, again, unintentionally, I think Chris's view impugns the character of God in that way.
0: So, the text says, <laughs> I know, you keep going back to the text. The text says, there's one event, the brothers meant it for evil, God meant it for good. Oh, you don't want to impugn God's character in that way. I'm not imputing God's character. God is big enough to intend good through man's evil. That's what the cross is about. That's what Isaiah 10 is about. That's what Genesis 50 is about. Layton just doesn't believe those because he has an overarching concept that he places, that he doesn't drive from scripture, but he places on top of scripture. So do we get a positive exegesis? Let's find out. And so what we would say, I'll give an analogy. For example, uh, police officers... We get an analogy. We don't get exegesis. We get an analogy. Because exegesis is not supportive of our position. But an analogy, we can try to come up with a story that will keep people from recognizing that we're not actually dealing with the text. Because we have a different ultimate authority.
1: They a sting operation where they know of notorious drug dealers in the area. They know their intention. They know that they're evil and they use, they don't cause, but they use the evil intention of criminals in order to bring about the selling of drugs at a particular time on Thursday, at two o'clock in the warehouse, so as to catch all the drug dealers in one place in the sting operation. So the police officers meant that selling of drugs an evil crime for a good reason, while the criminals meant it for a bad reason. So the same crime, the same act is being meant by both the police officers and the criminals. One is being meant for an evil purpose, for selfish gain. The other is being meant for a good purpose. And in the same way, in this scenario, Um, Obviously, God meant what the brothers did for a good purpose, for redemption. So God's not redeeming his own determinations here. He's redeeming the brothers' bad
0: determinations. He's bringing a good... So notice, he's redeeming their bad determinations. He did not determine the same act. He's redeeming their bad determinations. That's not what the text says. We've already demonstrated that. So he's changing the text... In light of his analogy, in light of his overriding tradition, this is how tradition substantiates itself. It can't be derived from exegesis. This is eisegesis. This is Leighton Flowers eisegeting Genesis 50 in light of his tradition.
1: From the bad, He's not causing the bad so as to just redeem his own determination.
2: Chris, interesting analogy there as well with the uh, the same crime being meant for different purposes and and, and so on. Um, what, what What's your take on that?
0: So, we... we Went through that before, but now, especially in light of what we're hearing, what you can see is the a priori force that this tradition has. So even when you're looking at one of the clearest texts in all of Scripture that gives you will of man, will of God, one act, you can't accept it. You just simply can't accept it. So in light of that, because I forgot to pull that up, um. Let me pull up where to go. Oh, there it is. Here is someone, uh, an open theist, an open theist sent this to me, and I forgot to put it. Sorry, I forgot to put it in my Evernote thing to, to pull up. But I told somebody else that I would cover it on the dividing line, so we've got enough time to do it. Uh, it's it's short. It's only two minutes and eighteen seconds. So I don't know who Eric Kemp is. He's done some stuff with Layton, um, but here, well, let's just listen to it. And it's relevant to what we just heard.
2: And 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 in fact, you know, those are some of the questions I have for Michael Horton in, in one of my articles. Is that, you know, could it be? That we have the same goal, okay, that we want to rightly balance the fact that God is sovereign over creation, whatever that—we can discuss what that means. But that, that God is an ultimate authority over creation, and that man is responsible. We, God is
0: an ultimate—I think he said an ultimate authority?
2: We share the same goal. This is what we want. Um, but when you say, could it be, this is my question for our reformed audience here for Michael Horton specifically. My question is, could it be that once the Westminster Confession of Faith says God from all eternity did by most wise and holy counsel of his own will, freely and unchangeable ordain whatsoever may come to pass. As long as you say that, as long as you affirm that, then even if you say and believe yet so as thereby neither is the God of author of sin. So even if you believe that he does so somehow, in some way, without being the author of sin, could it be that our criticism is, once you say the first part, just saying the second part doesn't make it so. That once you say the first part, the fact that God is the author of sin, ordains evil, however you want to put it, that that logically follows after the first statement, even if you affirm it doesn't, even if you claim it doesn't. That is what our it's, criticism it's, it's,
1: is. It's, it's kind of like it. Kind of like, to me, it kind of sounds like you're saying in one in one sentence, you're saying, um, "Bachelors are not married, but bachelors have a wife."
2: Right, gonna, and okay, so like. and so, if you acknowledge that that's our criticism, <laughs> then you would have right. to answer the criticism in some other way besides saying, yeah, but I don't believe God is the author of sin, or he does it somehow without being the author of sin. That doesn't answer the Christian. That doesn't assuage the logical train you set in motion. And right. I've because never heard like the, 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 an answer to that.
0: Never, and, heard, and, and, never heard an answer to that. Well, we've offered an answer to that so many times I've, I've lost count. But notice what Mr. Kemp is assuming. He is assuming that if Ephesians 1.11 is correct, because, I mean, the Westminster Confession is pretty much just utilizing that language. If God ordains whatsoever comes to pass, if he works all things after the counsel of his will, uh, which included the selling of Joseph into slavery, which included the utilization of the Assyrians uh, as punishment against uh, Israel, uh, which included the actions of Pilate, Herod, the Romans and the Jews. Then by definition, by definition, there cannot be a basis of justice and righteousness in God's judgment because by definition you must exclude compatibilism. you must you must, Conflate the temporal human realm with God's eternal existence, you flatten them out, squish them together, get rid of the decree, you're left with human autonomy. Scripture says you can't flatten it out. It's a diamond. You can beat on it all you want, it's not going to make any difference. And Joseph came to understand what the Westminster. Framers understood. Isaiah did too. And everybody in the early church prayed that way in Acts chapter 4. So they recognized, you can have that objection if you want, but where is the source of the objection? It's your philosophical system. You're not objecting from Scripture. And so you're objecting to a scriptural revelation on the basis of a philosophical reflection. And your philosophy is never any bigger than your cranium. And you may be the most brilliant man on the planet, but you fade like the flower of the grass between morning and evening. You know one one trillionth of what God knows. You know one one billionth of what's going on right now. Your philosophical reasoning is not perfect, as nobody's is, and therefore your basis is very insufficient to challenge the revelation of Scripture that this is, in fact, how God does it. And if the little creature demands that the Creator show all his cards, well, we're not reading the same source book because there are a lot of those creatures in Scriptures in the scriptures, that recognize God is God and I am not. So, I hear the objection, okay? Uh, But you say you've never gotten an answer. Of course you have. But your philosophical categories will not allow you to even process the exegetical nature of the answer given to you by scripture. This brings us back again to what is prior, what comes first, divine revelation or man's philosophies? And there, th- that's one of the reasons that the apologetic issue is so important. Because it's still referring us to the same thing. When scripture makes an end of speaking, so must we. That's based upon an epistemology and understanding of the sufficiency of scripture and the fact that God provides what we need, not necessarily what we would like in the extent of that revelation. Now, do I believe that sometime in the future, in eternity to come, um, there's probably going to be a whole bunch of aha moments where we go, oh, ah, oh, yeah. I'm sure there will be. I'm sure there will be. But till then, when your philosophy requires you to do to Genesis 50 what Layton just did to Genesis 50, then your philosophy is not a biblical philosophy, it's not a Christian philosophy, it's a humanistic philosophy. And as such, needs to be rejected. It needs to be rejected. So, um, get that. Oh my goodness, she won't stop. She is utterly deceived. I'm sorry, I'll I'll finish up with this. Folks, you couldn't be more clear. We couldn't have been more clear. The facts are on the table. This is black and white. This is, this is, we have a deceived sister here, okay? She's lost it. Christine Pack, just six minutes ago. No lies. The screenshot shows that JW is clearly commenting in response to the man who posted a pic of his ex-wife who died from COVID, paraphrase, hey, I could post my own pic of someone who died of something other than COVID and no one would have been upset. Heartless. That is a lie. Oh, my goodness. that I can, it, it is stunning to me. Mark her down. We have someone who is simply intent upon creating something, will not accept correction stunning and then she reposts the picture that that requires a level of dishonesty and deceitfulness that is truly astonishing astonishing i you you have to at that at that point you just start going okay christians are to be people who are concerned about truth this is a person who is not therefore wow um, anybody in this woman's life that, that can reach her, can talk to her elders, can, she needs help. She needs help. She is seeing truth right in front of her, and she's just doubling down. The, you, know, you know what this reminds me of? When we're out talking to Mormon missionaries, and we show them things they cannot possibly answer, and they just double down and double down, and I've got my testimony, and, and, and what about this? And Joseph Smith means this to me. It's that level of deception really is. What? No. What? Hey, if I, you say no, then go ahead.
3: I was going to uh, bring up the issue. You, you said someone from the ministry. Yes. Okay. Last night, I was reached out to by a member of our board of directors. Right. And he saw this stuff going on, trying to make sense of the thread, because it's Twitter, and he couldn't. And so I simply, right about that time, someone on Twitter put the whole... Lined together, just like you showed. Yeah. And I showed it to him. Now, here we have a member of the board of directors, someone who has the power to hold both of us accountable. And he's reaching out to me because these people are saying these things. Yep, my lion. Okay. I show him. Here's the thread. He dismisses the whole thing. Okay. That's all I need to see. The end. But you see, they would give uh, people the impression that we aren't accountable, that we can just simply do whatever we want and and fly off the handle. We are accountable. But you see, the people in our lives care about truth, just like we do. And they're not going to participate in a railroad and a frame job, which is what this has been from the beginning. And... It's just, you know, we we have, in our whole history, a lot of dishonest people that have come our path. It is amazing. And
0: it is just the way it is. And it'll be repeated so, over and over again. These types of people never stop. Yeah. But God has ways of of dealing with this kind of thing. But, folks, one last comment. This is why you must recognize... Biblical Parameters of Witness. I didn't see this coming. I mean, we've been using computers since they were not a whole lot of fun to use. No, because I, I, had, I, had, I had the compact when I was uh, before I graduated from college. So that was 84. I graduated in 85, so I think I had an 84. Yeah, yeah. So we've been using computers since 84. Could not have foreseen... And screenshots became something that was really nice, you know, because you grab it real quick and it's all subject to editing and dishonest utilization. Scriptural categories cannot be overthrown. Mouth of two or three witnesses. And especially with the stuff they're doing, what they call like deep fakes, is that is that what it's called? I I said something about it last year. There's this technology now where they are um Don't you remember the the one where they put um the terminator Arnold's face. Oh yeah. on someone on someone else's and yeah. and it you can't tell the difference.
3: Yeah. Well, go back to say 2002, 2003 when we started doing MP3s. Right. And we first got, which is now Adobe Audition, it was... You could edit stuff. Yeah. And I I was joking around with you about the fact that I can take, with this software, I can take anybody, and I can make them say anything I want them to. Yep. All it takes is the amount of time to do to edit together, string it together, and next thing you know, I've got words coming out of your mouth that you would never believe and you'd never say. But I could do it and that technology is out there
0: and it's not just audio anymore now yeah, now video. you can actually now you can actually deceive the eyes that's the yeah. amazing thing yeah. that's that's the amazing thing that's why and, we have to insist upon biblical standards of proof um the society will go its direction yeah and just think about what could happen when this kind of behavior is being done by the government Mm-hmm. We, we've got a situation right. right now where very plainly a, an American patriot was framed yes. by the FBI. No, qu- there's no question about it, yeah. none. There should be an instant pardon, and everybody who was involved with it should be thrown in the hoose cow. Yep. No, there's no question about this. Everyone sees it. Um, the state, th- there's a reason I don't trust government. It's because I've read Romans 1. And government is a big conglomeration of people who fulfill Romans 1. And you give them the kind of power we are now granting to the state. And we disappear, not only the citizens, we just become worthless to the state. So when it comes to really talking about justice, really doing justice, we have to stick with biblical standards right. of justice and proof. And so this is an obvious lie. This is this is just a situation where, you know, sadly we're seeing Christians who've just lost it. Just beyond the pale. Uh, total destructive, t- Totally destructive of any credibility that they ever, ever had. It's done. Just bury it. But what it points to is if that can be done on this level, what happens when it's done on the level of a court of law situations like that um, amazing amazing, really is so hey, we've gone for an hour and a half and we're supposed to be done so um, tomorrow I want to uh, lay out again I'm not sure how much work I'm going to be able to get done tonight there's been a lot of things getting in the way unfortunately um, but what parts of Wilson's argument do we need to focus upon and what parts really aren't even relevant? And I want to read through some portions of the conclusion because your conclusion is where you're presenting what you think your research has proven. And that's where the real issues lie. That's where the, the heart of the, of the issue is. I do have something on stoic compatibilism that to be honest with you my suggestion would be if we do get to it tomorrow now i can't do this because i can't do caffeine because of the heart situation i had um i can't do caffeine but my my suggestion for the rest of you is red bull up <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> um bill de blasio's worst nightmare red bull size 64 ounce mega guzzler because it ain't the most exciting stuff i will ever present to you but the problem is wilson talks uh, he conflates and throws together stoicism gnosticism manichaeism over and over and over and over again even in the conclusion so we got to go there Stoic determinism is not Gnostic determinism, which is not Manichaean determinism, which is not Christian determinism. The category separation is so great that I, I, again, am left stunned that this passed. But we have to establish that, and we will do so, and we will do so thoroughly, Uh, and we can do so again in debate. Yes, we can do all of that stuff, but we do it in such a way that hopefully it's edifying. One last thing, personal request. Again, like I said earlier, uh, these folks are on a mission right now. The mission is to destroy this ministry, to destroy the works that we've put out, um, works that have helped people. And so when you see people repeating these lies, please link them to the refutations of these lies. Take a moment, say, that's a lie, it's been refuted multiple times, go here and you'll see it, please be wise. You don't have to get into fights about it, but this is a kind of thing that causes tremendous damage in many other areas. Um, it's sad to see, it's pretty much any of these individuals who are going to continue pushing these memes, Joel McDermott, Paul Flynn, Christine Pack, um... Lex Lutheran, all these individuals—they uh, are destroying not only their witness but their reputation because this is a lie. It's been documented to be a lie. That's not even a question any longer. But it'll keep morphing. And so, uh, do us the kindness of saying, actually, you're 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 getting bad information there. Um, check it out for yourself. You'll see it and uh, go from there. So. Lord willing, we'll be back tomorrow. I'm not sure when we'll figure out what the schedule looks like, but back tomorrow with the aforementioned discussions. We'll see you then. God bless.